That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, sat beside the sea to teach. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the crowd stood on the beach. Well, I'm moved by the image of him in that boat with the crowd on the beach and how it would almost be like the amphitheater-style nave in the physical church building of St. Matthew's. I was actually tempted to broadcast from the beach. I contained my enthusiasm. And he told them many things in parables, saying, listen. May God's word be spoken. May God's word be heard. In the name of the one true and living God, amen. Good morning. Some authorities translate the word hear rather than listen. Have you ever had to work on the skill of listening with a child? Remember to use your listening ears, Jess. Do you understand me, Sharon? Pam, take your eyes off that video game and look at me. Do you hear me, Katie? Brian, are you paying attention? If I have learned anything from 30 years of parenting and 25 years in education, I have learned that most times what I really want is for the child to do what we say, to follow directions not simply hear. We want them first to listen to our instructions and then follow that listening with action. Lucky for me, by the time I was a grandparent, I had learned that I get better results when I explain in simple terms why what I am asking is so important. For any of us, not just kids, It is important to know why the work we're being asked to do is so important. There's a difference between the actions of hearing, listening, and following instructions. Are there not? I have learned that sometimes, if I am not uncomfortable, I may not be hearing or listening well, which will prevent me from acting or speaking when the need arises, which will keep me right where I am. Today's third reading that Pam just read totally reminds me of an effort we made this year to have more grass than weeds on our front lawn here at home. You see a small patch of grass, a brick path, some flower beds, and a vegetable garden make up our front yard. About 18 months ago, we had some work done in and around our home, which left our lawn less than golf course-like. So when spring arrived, we figured we'd give it a shot. So we scattered some grass seed. Some fell on the path, and it did a whole lot of nothing the one or two seeds did find their way into the spaces between the bricks. The majority, however, fell on the intended location and it basically grew, and it quickly grew into lush green grass. 
then the heat of the summer arrived, and without any rain, even with constant watering, the new grass had no hope. It simply lay down and died. Now, in defense of the reputation of the grass, which makes up our lawn, and truth be told, those weeds, well, over nearly 30 years that we've lived here, we've done little to improve the soil or grass, mostly because we didn't have the time or didn't feel like we knew how. As long as it was green, we mowed it. So when COVID-19 adjusted our schedule this spring, we thought we should give it a go. We'll try again in the fall. And then there's the vegetable garden. The soil has been worked and worked again. And over the years, it's been fertilized with material from the horse barn where our girls learn to ride. It's proven to be pretty good soil. Ashley, one of our twins, toiled early in the season to remove small stones and large rocks to make way for cherry, tomato, and cucumber plants. We eat from this garden and other vegetable planters all summer long, and depending on the weather, even into autumn. With care and proper tending, there seems to be a certain sustainability in the produce of our vegetable garden. Oh, sure. The perennial hydrangea, the peonies, bee balm, columbine, and lamb's ear, they're all beautiful in the flower garden. They require little work and come and go with their own growing season. On the other hand, we are literally fed from the vegetable garden. Honestly, one year I think we ate cucumbers for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The food sustains us. And with the help of fresh herbs growing in flower pots, it adds to our flavor to our meals, all coming from good soil, which requires lots of work. The work is worth doing. It is important to know why the work we're being asked to do is worth doing. And lately, we cannot help but be reminded of this work during this season of healing, justice, and reconciliation. My work, your work, our work. I'll tell you one way I know I still have work to do. I may have mentioned before that our entire family spends the first two weeks of Maine, or two weeks of August in Maine each year, and we've not missed a Maine camping trip in more than 30 years. Before that, I had spent summers with my grandparents. They would take me on adventures, usually associated with their church, all over the mid-coast. I enjoyed and learned so much of Maine, and yet there were things I was not taught. Two things I learned about Maine as an adult the first, about 15 years ago, my brother discovered that our mother's family came to what is now Maine by way of sailing on the Mayflower and later moving north. I don't know what I slept through in history class, but I, I'm not sure that I ever knew that the Pilgrims 
made their way to different parts of, of New England. Yes, we learned that we have at least a dozen traceable connections to folks like Priscilla Mullins, John Alden, and Captain Miles Standish. These folks met Samoset, Massasoit, and Squanto. Cool, right? Well, that and 275 will get me a cup of coffee at Orem's. As it turns out, there are an estimated 35 million people who can trace their genealogy to that group of folks who sailed to this part of the world in 1620. Perhaps you were among that number and were cousins. Construction paper, pilgrim hats, and bands of colorful feathers aside, there is much for me to learn about the relationship my ancestors knew with the indigenous people who greeted them. I wonder, why were we never told about this part of our family history? Perhaps prior to the advent of the internet, our family genealogist, my great uncle Neil, wasn't able to go that far back in our family history. Perhaps it was known, and for generations, those who came before us thought it was best not to say. We'll never really know. Just two days ago, I read an article during a daily effort at doing my work that described a utopian community living on the margins on an island not far from the area where I've spent every summer of my life. That community met a hateful and hurtful end. The community began to take shape in 1794 when Benjamin Darling, a free black man, purchased Horse Island. Later, in the early 1860s, his daughter built a home with her husband on a nearby island, and soon an integrated group of about 40 fishermen and laborers with their families called Malaga Island home. Working living and loving in ways that were considered different in those days. And it is said now of Malaga that children of every shade could be seen playing on the small island near Bath and Phippsburg, Maine. Like many stories of folks who live differently or who hold a different worldview, Back then, there were numerous and unkind things said about the people who lived at Malaga by their more traditional and civilized neighbors only a short paddle away. In a nutshell, it seemed that things went along pretty well. That was until the then governor of Maine visited Malaga in 1911. Following his visit, he was quoted in the Brunswick Times record as saying, the best plan would be to burn down the shacks with all their filth. Certainly the conditions are not creditable to our state and ought not, we ought not to have such things near our front door. Well, not long after, with little justice in their favor, the residents of Malaga were ordered to leave their island home. By the evacuation deadline of 1912, 
when crews went to clear off the remaining 40 folks still inhabiting the small patch of earth rising out of Casco Bay, there was little evidence of what existed on the now island preserve. The residents had left, disassembling and taking their homes with them, some on wooden rafts bound for Portland. Some set up housekeeping in other parts of Maine, while others still moved to Connecticut. They left behind only a crudely built schoolhouse and a small cemetery, the 17 bodies of which were later condensed into five caskets and with little dignity reburied elsewhere. Though I have no familial connection that I know of, to those who once lived on the margins at Malaga. I am sad for what was lost. I do hope to learn more about Malaga and other neighborhoods like it. Think New York City's Central Park. I wonder what it would be like today. Would it be, would it still be a small, isolated group who support each other? I wonder if the relationships enjoyed there would serve as an example that could change the world. I guess we'll never know. Octavia Butler, renowned American science fiction author, wrote in her 1993 book, The Parable of the Sower, all you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Butler also said, belief initiates and guides action, or it does nothing. So what is it that we believe? What of our common tradition as folks who believe in Jesus will guide us in our work? What of our common beliefs will cause us to act. The promise of our baptismal covenant is that we will strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. If we're looking and listening carefully enough here in Wilton, one can choose to see the work of many people planting seeds of change, of respect, dignity, and justice for all folks doing the important work of learning what we had not known, speaking where and when we may have kept silent in the past, putting effort into relationships with folks we might not have cared enough about to engage with before. In my experience, this type of work did not always take place in Fairfield County and Wilton, Georgetown where my wife and her sisters grew up and where I spent many of my younger days. That gives me hope, hope for us. Will you join me in the important and worthy work? Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? And will you join me in saying, I will, with God's help. Amen.